My name is Emmy. I'm a member here, uh, an occasional preacher, and a chaplain at a hospital nearby. We have recently been in a series on Missio's three main values. But today we're taking a brief departure from those to talk about a core value of the church universal, truth. Uh, and in the spirit of truth and full disclosure, I've been working the night shift recently at the hospital, so I'm coming to you this morning uh, unrested and unrehearsed and extremely caffeinated. Uh, <laughs> if I start to not make sense or talk too fast, just like throw something or let me know. Uh, yeah, just let me know. Um, so I know you will all be paying attention, if only just to see if I make a mistake. Pressure's on. <laughs> so, truth. How do we define truth? Dictionary is a good place to start. And the dictionary says that truth is something that is in accordance with fact or reality, usually referring to something that is expressed verbally. And this is good, but it's kind of boring. And as Christians, we believe, in, we believe that truth proceeds from the giver of life. We believe that truth is life-giving, identity-shaping. Truth is reality. It follows that as creatures made in the image of God, there is something in us that recognizes truth. We say that something rings true when it strikes a chord deep in the soul, when something feels like a piece of the puzzle fits neatly into place. There is something in us that has the ability to sense truth or lies and this is a skill I think all humans are gifted with to some extent by the creator, but it is one that is delicate, delicate, pollutable in the broken world we live in. It can be shaped in a good way or in a bad way. And as followers of Christ, we are called to be a truth-seeking people, faithful to God and grounded in the word. We are called to live in reality, the reality that God created and that God shapes us to recognize. But we live in a society, a world, that increasingly insists that truth is relative, truth that reality is subjective, that the answer to the question of what is right is to each their own. How do we know what truth is in an environment like this? How do we hold to the truth we believe in, in an environment like this? What meaning or hope does truth bring to our lives in a world that is broken? These are big questions, important questions, and questions that I recognize I will not really be able to answer in 10 minutes. So what I am not going to do today is tell you all what social or political stances are exactly right or true. If you take anything away from this sermon, giving it to you right at the beginning, I hope that it is that walking in truth is a way of life, an unfolding, ongoing practice of discernment and faithfulness to God, not a checklist of right or wrong opinions. What I am gonna do today is highlight some characteristics of truth in scripture. We'll talk about truth as armor, truth as a pathway to life, the idea that truth hurts, and what it means to cling to the truth of the kingdom. Before we dive in, let's pray. 
Lord God, I thank you for gathering us here today, for sending your Son and your Spirit to reveal your truth to us. Open our ears to listen and our minds to receive a fresh understanding of your good news. Help it to shape our hearts. Lord, enable me to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth this morning, and be with each of us, O oh God, that we may come to know you more. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was doing some research and reading some other sermons, and I came across a number of speakers who insisted that truth is a weapon the strongest weapon we have against the enemy and this evil age. They exhort their listeners to wield truth, to cut down lies like a soldier in battle. And this is evocative, powerful, call to action kind of rhetoric, but interestingly, I actually could not find that same sentiment in the Bible. There are no verses that describe truth as a weapon. There are a few that describe the word of God as a weapon, and that's similar, such as Hebrews 4.12. Indeed, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. But this verse, as with others like it, makes no mention of humans, wielding the weapon. In fact, it says that the word is living and active, suggesting that it wields itself. And we ourselves are the subjects of its piercing, revealing cuts. I found more verses that describe lies as weapons, such as Proverbs 25:18, Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an ax wounding them with a sword or shooting them with a sharp arrow. The most direct metaphor describing truth in scripture that I could find is in Ephesians 6, 610 for those of you with Bibles, if you're following along, it goes like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on the evil day, and having prevailed against everything, to stand firm. Stand therefore and belt your waist with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Lace up your sandals in preparation for the gospel of peace. With all of these, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. Truth is the first piece of spiritual armor mentioned in this passage. Here, Paul invokes the image of a soldier ready for battle. 
The belt of a Roman soldier in Paul's day was not the simple leather strap that we wear. It, is, it was a band of thick, heavy leather and metal with a pr protective piece hanging down from the front. The belt carried the soldier's sword and held the rest of the pieces of the body armor together. It had a primarily defensive function. In fact, every piece of spiritual armor that Paul lists here, except the sword of the spirit, is defensive in nature. All are desi designed to help us stand firm against this present darkness. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith and salvation, all are gifts of God to his people for their protection. And this protective belt of truth does hold the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This connects truth to the word. In the spirit, who is living and active, a friend and a guide. So this weapon is not one we wield completely of our own accord, by our own power or by our own judgment. Instead, the passage says that we are to take up the sword of the spirit, the word, and then pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. All of the action in this passage, putting on all the armor and taking up the sword, leads up to prayer. Prayer is the primary offensive strategy or assignment that Paul gives us here. Prayer that is established on and confident in the truth, the living word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his kingdom is at hand. So, truth as a weapon, not recommended really, biblically or relationally. I think we've probably seen how truth wielded as a weapon only cuts a wider chasm between the listener and the source of truth. This kind of truth teller sets themselves up as their own sort of angel with the flaming sword gatekeeping the Garden of Eden. And that is not the job that God has called us to. God has called us to discipleship, to walking the way of truth in the footsteps of Jesus. I think of John 8, 31. If you obey my teaching, you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Other translations of John 8 say abide. If you abide in my teaching, you are my disciples. Because we are made in the image of God, and by the grace of God, we are capable of knowing and loving God, of listening to and obeying God. This does not mean that God is easily or completely comprehensible, just that God has made himself accessible through the person of Jesus Christ. It does not mean that truth is something we suddenly grasp just like that when we confess that Christ is Lord. The psalmist petitions God in Psalm 25 saying, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. And in John 16, Jesus tells us that the spirit of truth will come and guide us into all truth. The Spirit will reveal to us the things that are to come. The pursuit of seeking truth and knowing God is a journey that demands our attention, our allegiance, and our humility. 
If you obey my teaching, you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and truth shall set you free. We all want the freedom, right? What I think we forget or overlook sometimes is that this freedom comes after submitting our lives in obedience to the God who has saved us. Obedience, abiding in the living word, shapes us into people who are more attuned to truth, to the way that God is working in the world. And then we can walk more confidently on the path of life, every step firm on the foundation of truth, less likely to veer off onto alternate paths. Because that can happen, right? A truth can become an idol and a distortion when it is separated from the source of truth, from God. Something can be true, but blown out of proportion, inflated with human arrogance or inflexibility, it can become more destructive than life-giving. And sometimes the truth gets so diluted that it hardly resembles truth at all. In general, this is how I would categorize most political or social stances that use vaguely religious reasoning. It can be convincing stuff, and that's because truth matters to us. It informs who we are and how we live, which is why it is so important to practice walking the path of truth and life, to abide in God's teaching and discover what it means to live in God's reality. After all, our creator's truth about us is the only trustworthy one. So practically, and somewhat obviously, this means reading, listening to, meditating on, analyzing God's word alone and in community. If it is the word of God, it will stand up to our questions and lead us to truth. There's no special formula here, only humility and faithfulness and fellowship. And so this is lovely, but it's the nice side of the story. What about when truth hurts? We are all familiar with this saying, right? Truth hurts. It seems to be used most by people trying to excuse their not-so-kind delivery of a not-so-kind truth. And sometimes it's paired with some wacky interpretations of the speak the truth in love verse in Ephesians 4. Um, on a whim, I googled speak the truth in love, and the first result was a book on how to be an assertive Christian. feels a little ironic and doesn't really sound all that loving, humble, or caring to me. More like the truth just hurts variety of Christian. And I cannot express how much this take on truth telling just grinds my gears. <laughs> Sometimes Receiving a truth is just painful, but the delivery of such a truth should be as gentle as possible. I'm not gonna get all the way on my soapbox about this, but I will say, if the truth that needs to be told is going to hurt, it should hurt both ways. 
If the truth that it needs to be told is going to hurt, it should hurt both ways. If the truth teller is taking any sort of pleasure in telling a truth that causes pain, they are not the right person to deliver that truth. Speaking the truth in love requires loving our neighbor as ourself, investing in them, understanding what it will cost them to receive that truth, feeling a bit of that ache with them. We earn the right to be truth tellers to each other when we invest in compassionate, redemptive relationships and community. Obviously, this is not always done perfectly, and sometimes we have to speak a truth without knowing exactly how it will be received, but I think that this is something we should strive for. After all, truth is a double-edged sword. It may cut someone else open, but it will reveal plenty about yourself, too. This is one aspect of truth that hurts. Those truths about flaws in our character or behavior that we are blind to, that our community can help us improve on. But truth is also hard in other ways. We live in a world that is broken, and sometimes the reality that truth tells us to look at is nearly unbearable. During one of my recent shifts, I got an alert about a cardiac arrest in the emergency room. The patient had been eating dinner with his wife when he suddenly stopped breathing and keeled over. He arrived in the ambulance and the medical team got to work. It wasn't looking good. And in the meantime, I went to find his wife to bring her back to the waiting room. When I introduced myself, and even as I told her that I had no bad news to deliver at that moment, she flinched away from me, barely able to look me in the eye, because I represented the very thing that she was afraid of, the death of her husband. And it was not long after that that what she feared came to pass. The team had done everything to no avail. And at first, she would not enter the room, avoiding what she knew she would find. And then she was in denial, asking for more treatment. What if he could come back? And then she was overcome with grief. I respected her space and her state of shock, not imposing on her, but checking in, bringing water and tissues. And when I sensed more openness, sat in silence with her for a while. And I noticed this because I was preparing for this sermon, I think. As she came to accept the truth, the hard truth, the painful truth of her husband's passing, she began to see me and the nurses and doctors in a more truthful light, as people that had done their best, people who now grieved with her at, her, at this loss of life. She started to share stories with me about the patient and their life together. The truth did not get any easier. She had lost someone she loved, suddenly, tragically. Her acceptance of the truth, however, did help her connect with others in her moment of need, allowing us to support her. And this story does not have a happy, tied-in-a-bow ending. It is sad. 
And I wasn't sure if I would share it because it doesn't have some clear takeaway or moral. It doesn't feel particularly hopeful. But it does illustrate something true, that this world is a broken one. And oddly enough, I think that does lead us to hope. If we do not look at the reality of brokenness, if we avoid and deny and turn our faces away and live in our own bubbles of truth and comfort as long as we can, our experience of reality will be stunted. And if our experience of reality is stunted, so too is our experience of God's truth, love, and grace. If we do not acknowledge the need in our world, then we, don't, we do not need the hope of the kingdom of God. But when we recognize that need, we start to look for, hope for, desire the kingdom of God. We start to abide in that truth. We recognize that it is available to us in a new way and we live with the resources of that new kingdom. The armor of God, the strength that God gives us to walk the path of life as disciples of Jesus. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a parable that goes like this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the waters rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. With this, Jesus says to us, my word is true. And if you believe it, it will be for you a strong defense, a clear path, a trustworthy hope. When we confess that Christ is Lord, when we accept that his word is truth and his promises are trustworthy, we enter the kingdom reality. And here is the truth of that kingdom. You are perfectly safe in Christ. In the deepest, truest reality, there is nothing in life that can separate you from God. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This foundation can withstand any storm. And this is not a truth you have to defend. This is a truth that defends you. Jesus has told us these things so that in him we may have peace. In this world we will have trouble, but take heart. Christ has overcome the world. John 16, 33. Amen.